You're listening to the Hotel Moment Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're at in the world, and welcome to Hotel Moments. Today we're joined by Tyler. Tyler, if you'd like to introduce yourself, sir. Hello, Tyler Lavin from Citizen M. Well, a- welcome, welcome. Yeah, so Tyler, tell us a little about Citizen M. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Citizen M, if, if you're not aware, is a Dutch hotel company. Our origins are rather unique compared to a lot of our uh, competitors. Our founder is a, a former fashion designer, uh, Ratan Chada. He founded a brand called Mex, which was a fast fashion company similar to Azara or an H&M um, that he sold to Liz Claiborne in the early 2000s. But he was a world traveler with his designers and not all the time able to afford the four seasons for his team. So he saw an interesting opportunity to disrupt the space between a limited service, high design hotel and a four-star hotel. And that's really where Citizen positions itself. Trying to find that niche between, call it your, your courtyard or Hilton Garden Inn, which is nice branded vanilla type stuff and the, the nice four-star boutique hotels. We're able to accomplish that with a, a 180 square foot room. And then we put a lot of that square footage into an oversized lobby that becomes sort of what we call our living room. And we opened our first one in 2008 and we'll, we'll talk about some of the things that are happening for us this year, but we're now in the mid twenties and hotels open worldwide. And I think part of this conversation is to be our excitement for continuing to open hotels. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Yeah. So your uh, focus of course is on the development side of things. So I guess uh, tell us, yeah, what, what does this yeah, uh, happen in the pipeline? We are a unique bird in this industry where we are buying dirt and developing systems ground up. A lot of times in Europe, it's not necessarily dirt because the cities are a lot older than they are here in the United States. So we're converting office buildings and or historic structures. But the, the main thing is we own all our real estate generally, which is very different from the rest of the industry where you have a brand and a manager and an asset manager and we're vertically integrated versus most of our competitors have a bifurcated ownership structure. So that, that creates a, a lot different perspective, both going in and out of COVID in terms of how aggressive we want to be. And, and candidly, a lot of these hotel openings were sourced well before COVID started. So it's not like we plan to open these hotels like in the middle of the pandemic. But For sure. And how is that influenced? Starting with the, looking at the pipeline side of it, with the pandemic going, have you seen a decline in interest in starting this idea of building a hotel in the future? Or have you seen that people are still continuing the interest and demand and the pipeline so robust? Yeah. So there's two things I can comment on that. One, from a, a supply side, you're going to definitely see a, a really soft period, similar to, to past recessions, but probably worse than we've ever seen in terms of new starts. Yeah. There's a number of reasons why banks just don't want to lend on it. Uh, that still is is barely thawing on ground up construction financing. Two, the fundamentals look kind of terrible. You're looking at three year recovery still for a lot of markets. And then construction costs haven't abated. Usually you find construction costs sort of slowly following the trend. They usually trail six to 12 months because const- contractors and subs start to get nervous that they don't have anything in the pipeline. That's when they start to get competitive. Yep. Uh, that price relief has not occurred. So you're not going to see a lot of ground up construction unless someone 
has just the right cost capital and or finds just that right spot that makes sense. Each city has different fundamentals these days. So that's also a factor in where we're looking, where we can find successful ground up sort of successful in terms of on paper where the IRR makes sense for us to continue yeah. from that. The other part of the industry that is crazy is you have a lot of money chasing existing assets, looking for that distressed asset. So I think maybe in the first two months of the pandemic, you could get a deal. I think an example of that would be the Hotel Hutton down in Nashville that, that was under contract for called 400 a key. They got essentially a, a 25% discount to close in right at the beginning of the pandemic. I don't know how much they put into it, but not much. And they're going to come back out to market this year at 450 a key. Uh, and they probably get that for the hotel. So you're seeing a, a frothy kind of asset valuation on the existing, which is just because there's just a lot of money chasing deals. So we thought maybe we would have some opportunities to convert some interesting independent hotels and those opportunities just aren't really materializing. Yeah, it's interesting too, because to your point is the market itself, I think it's lack of better words, kind of gangbusters right now when it comes to the acquisition market. If you look at, I think CoStar had did a report here last month or so, just talking about how much volume is being done in transactions. You look at that the per key price, and I think it was well over 700 for residents in over in white, $700 a key. You look at some of the, the, the scale of deals being done, uh, Heike or some uh, Hugging Colony acquired their uh, portfolio there that they just almost grew, I think, was it 40 to 60 properties, something like that, for just select service. In general, that that area and that uh, market itself is such a, a good fit. And then to your point, look at the built garden in world or the courtyards uh, for your cops out there is that you're in a, a semi quasi full service uh, going after the business travelers, going after the, the travelers to I'll look at it a little bit different, uh, but you're also at the same token at the boutique level. Uh, we are focused on the, the boutique market and able to provide a more unique experience, which I think is in itself a huge, huge factor. Yeah. I, Citizen M, we only have five open, one there in Seattle with you. We're mm -hmm. from Boston right now at, at our hotel that opened in September 26, uh, 2019. We have the two in New York and one in DC. There's just so many people that never really experienced a Citizen M. It's so different when you go in. I try and describe it to people, but you really have to go and experience it. But our hotel, we probably have the highest design hotel in the industry. If you know, there's obviously going to be, you know, the Fiena in, in, in Miami and in, in independents that like really go above and beyond. But from just a pure brand, we probably put the most thought into our front of house design. We spend probably more on art than 10 courtyards combined. Those types of things, you don't really get to, can't really experience that on the internet. You have to like see it. We're going to have our hot and stick moment here in the United States this year. We're going to open essentially five more hotels in a, in a five month period, starting with LA this month. Um, and then two in Miami, San Francisco, another in DC, and actually right behind that, another one in Seattle and Pioneer Square. So I think the brand awareness and people's just knowing that we exist is going to go from this to hopefully a lot bigger. And I'm excited for it because we, we put such a high standard on what we build from a brand perspective, the technology, the backbone of MEP that we put into these buildings and just really the curated design that we put into the hotel, I think is going to, over the test of time, stand out 
well above our peers. And at this time when it's very hard to fathom, like putting a, a big dollar amount into your hotel to keep it both up to snuff technology wise, or just case goods, I think that we're feeling that, that we'll turn that butter and make it cream or whatever that saying is. I think that we're going to, we're very optimistic that our product is going to be well received because of how curated it is. Definitely. And exactly. It's providing that unique experience is something you're not going to see every day. When you go to the hotel, people think of it, an industry we call it heads and bench. Everybody's focused. That's room. I, you know, but something that's unique, it's not going to be that, you know, traditional experience. I, I think it's going to go leaps and bounds and stand out. And we uh, recently had a podcast guest who was talking about his property that he's building. One of the things that they did is made the housekeeping laundry area a show. It's glass windows all the way through for staff to the, for guests to see what the staff is doing behind the scenes. But they're doing elaborate chandeliers and things like that. So to that point, it's that same thought of providing a more unique experience, finding something different because in the end, that traditional, just a, a you know, the vanilla hotels, as you called it, it isn't exactly what people are looking for. They look for something a little different. So that'll be exciting to see. To that point, though, and, and pivoting from here a little bit, how are you guys utilizing technology? You touched on that as a, as a piece of your infrastructure. How are you guys using technology? How are you looking to reinvent this process other than, of course, part? Yeah, and I, I think that the just the technology piece alone, we use it, and people sometimes think that technology takes away from the hospitality experience and we view it the complete opposite. It really removes friction and or unnecessary conversation from our staff and the guests. And all they're purely focused on is making you happy. And I think that comes through when you stay as it's them. But I just checked in, I made my key with my app. It's so easy. I check in, I put the key up against the back of the, the phone. It tells me my room number and I go up. There was a thousand people trying to clutter in the lobby. You don't even need to deal with it as business travelers. Savvy road warriors don't deal with that bullshit. They don't like yeah. it. And I personally love Citizen M for that reason. I can just go right to my room. Then I come down and I have a great authentic conversation with our, what we call our ambassadors, which is our front house staff. They're not your traditional hotel person. We're hiring people that are trying to break onto Broadway. They are just very high social and emotional IQ type people. And we don't have a script for them. They really, in, in all the things they have to worry about are taken care of by technology and, and really outsourcing a lot of the, the hotel functions offsite. So they're really just operating. We operate a 250 key hotel here in Boston. Actually, it's 272 to be exact with seven people. And it feels wow. like it's fully staffed. I mean, we, we outsource the housekeeping, so they're not necessarily now employees, but Certainly when in a, in an environment where staffing is really hard, us being able to pay a, a, a much higher premium to these ambassadors keeps us staffed. Yeah. And I was going to say, actually, I was going to ask about that and how the technology either supports the labor challenges or how you guys do get around it. Because in the end, that's one of the biggest hot topics in the industry is how do you bring in labor? How do you retain the labor that you have and keep? That was managers who have survived the pandemic have been there to support through the entire process, keep them engaged, keep them happy. Yeah, no, I think that for too long, hotels have mistreated their staff and underpaid them. And the day it's on where they no longer can do that. And I think people gotten a taste for a new outlook on life and they may not want to work 12 hours, seven days a week. 
to, to make ends meet. And I think they're willing to, for the, to take trade off. So for us, we've always paid a premium. We're a Dutch company. It, it's a bit of a European mentality in trying to really make it a, a living wage. So we've always paid, call it 25% premium to market. We've always seen it as a great investment because we have much less turnover than your traditional hotel. Our staff are happy, young, friendly people. We are trying to encourage them to, to not necessarily stay here, but you know, it's one of those things where I think that we realize the talented people that we hire, if you know, eventually they're going to move on is, is a meritocracy in our industry. Yeah. Um, but over time, our ability, and we didn't lay off a single person during the pandemic which I think is commendable from Citizen M's on the front of house side. We did lose a little people who were overpaid like me got let go, but <laughs> our, our front of house staff, we didn't let anyone go. We kept all the hotels open. Yeah. And it's, you know, I don't know how long we'll be able to maintain it because we are brawling, but it is absolutely a family. I come here, I'm hugging most of the ambassadors. I haven't seen them for a year and a half, but it just, a lot of the safety people are here. And I think that that's very unique to this brand, to Citizen M and the way that we treat people. We give, if you're an ambassador, you can stay anywhere in the, in the world for free, unlimited. We give perks like that, that I think for the people that want to travel a lot and, and have that flexibility in their life, this is a pretty tough place to be. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it reminds me. So uh, when I started my career uh, in hospitality, I was a hotelier for just about a decade now when I was started, I started with Hyatt and that was one of the perks that we had at Hyatt is you could travel in the world. You had a lot, we didn't have many days, you could stay all free. It, it was always a great thing. A lot of employees would say, I'm going to go backpacking through Europe and just take the train and go through. Of course, right now, nowadays with COVID, a little less of that backpacking experience. But to your point though, even it, it speaks even in the general scheme of just how system presents itself. What are the uh, perks of if you were, for example, to be hired as a manager for a director of sales set? They bring to the Netherlands to do the training and do your onboarding. And that was all part of that uh, conversation as uh, the system was opening in Seattle and they were looking to hire new talent. That was one of the conversations that was being had was that if you were to apply for the role, be accepted, would actually go to the home office and be able to have that experience, which is uh, in itself how it shows how much investment that companies willing to make in their talent when you're willing to fly them internationally just to get trained. Versus doing something that could be done virtually, or they could fly their trainer out instead and then bring the trainer on property. So it just uh, shows a lot of value and, and investment into the people. And then you yeah. add. It's a, it definitely is hard to maintain that sort of culture during a pandemic. I, I think we've all become a little too far removed from company cultures, but that is something that stuck with me the first day I started. And I flew over to Netherlands and spent a week in Borskoten, which is the town that we actually have our headquarters in. And I've been at other brands and I've been, you know, consulting on brands in the past and there's nothing like it. And I, I think that I hope we, we also go over every year for a week for a holiday get together. And those bonds are extremely strong doing things like that. Definitely. And that, that definitely uh, speaks leaps and bounds and makes a big difference in the day-to-day -day work and but in some ways too, that speaks back to the retaining the talent, the, that investment in keeping people on during the pandemic, as well as building that family culture. Um, and culture has always been a, a big thing, I think, in determining how well your staff is going to perform, uh, but be retained uh, and stay on with you. How have you guys kept the things moving with the pandemic, with openings going? How have you tried to keep that culture? I mean, as you touched on, culture's pulled away with everything going on. Yeah, 
I think that what's because we own all these assets, we have a, an advantage where a lot of employees in New York are willing to come to Boston for an opening and, and move here or go to DC and, and they're able to, they want new experiences. They're young. So we've got a ton of people that are already signed up to open in LA or open in Miami. So we can import people who have been with system for a period of time. And then we layer on the local staff, but it's, it's a way for us to keep that culture going where people who been in ambassadors for citizen continue to grow with the company and, and open these no, new hotels. And it, frankly, it's needed in this environment because we just can't get the, the talent that we want to open these hotels fresh without anybody from outside of that necessarily market coming in. And so it's vitally important for us to be able to do that as well. So we're a little fortunate in that sense. Plus these hotels are, we can operate them with an understaffed scenario, it's not ideal. Um, yeah. But because it's been a bit of a ramp up too, the hotels are like going crazy right now in terms of occupancy. It's allowed us to pick people off here and there and continue to layer on the staffing without being at a critical level where we can't get the hotels open. Yeah. Fortunate in that sense, but as, as the market continues to creep above that 50% occupancy, I think you're going to start to see an even more critical shortage of employees at most hotels. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think that it, it speaks and you see the writing on the wall, as they say, in the sense that you look at New York, Boston, those markets themselves, when you look at the performance overall, they're not the leading markets. They're not Miami. They're not LA where you're seeing those huge demands. That the leisure demand in itself is really right. uh, speaking volumes. Seattle, and in its respect, has seen a little bit of an uptick more recently, but in the end, still not quite what it used to. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see, to your point, as you get further down that road, as you get to those markets that have those higher occupancies, see how everything flows and how everything goes um, from there. But to that point, have, how, what's your guys' take from a, and a, the brand standpoint of recovery when it comes to business travel retreating, for example, or do you guys anticipate leisure demand is going to continue to see, or do you expect things to start winning as we're going into Q3, Q4? Yeah. I mean, so I was just at Alice and which is a lodging investment conference, which people don't know about was in usually in January in LA, it was in July this year. It was lightly attended. I'd say maybe 35 to 40% of its typical crowd. A lot of the guys in the Hamptons were like, I'm not flying to LA in July. I'm staying here. Um, and there's probably people that just didn't want to travel because COVID in LA just reinstated its mask mandate. But I would say I'm a believer that conferences are going to take on a more critical component of, of travel going forward. There's so many people that I hadn't seen in New York being based in New York for the longest time that I saw at that conference. And I think with people more spread out and schedules a little bit looser, conferences are going to become more and more important in the future or really building those bonds. And the reality is in, in any business, friendships and those personal bonds do make a huge difference. I mean, you get the first look on a deal. You, I, it is in our industry, especially it is one of those things that, um, you can't put a value on, on having that face-to-face -face type of that face-to-face -face interaction with people. So like I said, I think that's going to be critical importance going forward. It's 
it takes time for that demand to bounce back. A lot of cities that have a convention center component are, are predicted to recover fully to 2019 levels in 2024, 2025. Leisure transient is obviously strong. I think it'll remain strong as you haven't even layered in international tourism yet. But that will also mean that some of our domestic tourism goes international. So it'll yeah, probably yeah. give it a take. Business travel, we, we touched on this before we even talked. We've done a subscription for business travel. We've done a passport for leisure travel, trying to essentially give people blanket month stays with the passport and or yeah. a, a number of guaranteed nights as a business traveler. Frankly, I'm a little scared that certain travel does not ever come back. I, I work for PwC as a hotel consultant. I went to Minneapolis for four months. There was zero reason for me to be there for four months. And I, I don't see how companies will, a lot of it was they were worried about security, et cetera, but that's all out the window at this point. So there's no reason for, for you to bring in a 23 year old to pay for them to stay in Minneapolis and fly in and out of town for four months. And I think that sort of Deloitte, EY, PwC type travel is going yep. to go away. Then, and then I think we're all seeing this sort of hybrid work play culture coming in behind it, where you'll go to a city and work during the day and hang out at night and your Thursday through Sunday sort of travel is, is becoming much more popular where yeah. you can work remotely from Boston or New York or wherever you want to be, get some work done and it, you know, extend it into a, a leisure travel trip. Yeah, so, definitely more, more leisure is happening for sure. Leisure, exactly. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. I, I think you have to, you definitely have to think about the world differently. Yeah. How that, that Monday through Thursday is going to shape up. For sure. My natural instinct to say, hope that you're working correct and you're very wrong. My background is in extended state. So PwC, Ernst & Young, every, all, all that was the project business we all went after and looked for. Just that, that it is not because you're based business and that's really what you want to go after and have, but you're very right in the sense that I think the pandemic has really opened up then the eyes of a lot of businesses, a lot of industries where you say, we could really do a lot of what we do already remotely, securely, safely, and put in the right structures to make sure that happens. And a lot of properties now, especially there, there were some of that beforehand of making sure VPN access was there and making sure that people can get the hard lines into their rooms if they were there for uh, an extended stay where they needed security behind their infrastructure and not being able to be just on a Wi-Fi network, things like that, where there was some of that safety and security that was there. But now, uh, more so, people are realizing that can still be done just for home and uh, more aspects, more level, and they can open it up to more. So it'd be interesting, you know, to see how that affects, because there is that level where people can be remote now, being to your point, extend through, extend their stay, and really focus on driving. Hey, I was here Monday through Wednesday, but now I can actually quite fly it as well. Um, and the industry is letting you change things more often. Yeah. Your cancel or pivot, whatever your stay was. So there's a lot of value there too, that you can just say, you know what? I'm enjoying this hotel. I'm actually going to stay a little longer, extend my stay. So there's a lot of value there too. So it'll be interesting to see exactly to your point, how this uh, pans out, but to your point, the corporate program you guys have, the global passport program that you and I were talking about before and that launched for the pandemic, do you guys have more plans for a program similar? Have you seen some traction from that program? 
than those two programs are. Yeah, the passport more traction than we were expecting. The passport being targeted at basically you pay a, a flat fee and you can stay unlimited in our hotels for a month. You you have a little bit of fencing in the sense that you can't go one night, one night, one night, one night, one night. You have to stay for a week in each of the, the places. But beyond that, we've seen a lot of people who maybe they're in a transition period. In New York, a lot of people didn't have apartments. They gave it up. So they are staying with us for a month as they try to figure out where they're going to live. Yeah. Uh, you also have people that aren't sure if they're going to have to be in the office as much. So they're doing these programs with us where they can stay with us when they are in the city. But if they're not, they're in their second home or wherever they are. They're at their parents' house. Or they're at the beach for the summer. Uh, so the, a lot of people like that flexibility. It's not a huge number. So even if you stay five or six times, it feels like you're getting value when you can technically stay 30. Um, so we've had to cap that program and until we really have a, a bigger portfolio. Uh, yeah. And it tends to concentrate in certain hotels. So it's hard to yield in those hotels if you get too many passport customers blocking rooms. Yeah. So it's a work in progress for us. The subscription model is is predicated on this idea that there will be a bit of a hub and spoke for corporate headquarters where people will not necessarily be all concentrated in the same place. They'll come back for a couple nights a month to check in at the at HQ, conduct meetings in person, whatever they need to do, but they're remote from their corporate office for a lot of that time. So we're trying to create cater program to people that are now going to live away from their home office, but still come back and stay close by for a couple nights to a couple weeks a, a month. Mm -hmm. And that one, until business travel comes back in earnest, I'm not sure how successful that's going to be. We've gotten some traction with it, but you know, there's been very little traction in, in business travel in general. So we don't yeah. know where that's going to go at this point. For sure. Yeah. And that program in advance, that why it's too, based on customer requests. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, hey, in some ways, that program is in, in, in ways and in it's infancy versus the other one. In the end, have the ability to stay at any one of the properties in any part of the world for like a week at a time to a month at a time. It gives you a lot of options on where you want to go and travel. And to your point, you can spend a couple of days in New York, Austin, and the portfolio is growing. You're down to Miami, you go to LA for a little while. If you're not locked into a an apartment somewhere, or a, a dwelling somewhere, wherever you're living, go anywhere. If you're a worker remote and you have the ability to work from wherever you're at in the world, you can go see and back to your earlier point, have these experiences. You're experiencing a two hotels, your new cities. We can go spend a month there, one place. And at the end, you're always paying the same rate no matter where you're at in the world. And as the world opens up, it gives you more options to travel as well. I knew that's going to be the critical moment when all the borders. It, it's so hard to just go into Europe right now and yeah. through a million loops. So once everything returns to some normalcy, it's an incredible value. We'll probably have to start to yield on it a little bit because it's one of those things where as occupancy starts to climb, it's hard to justify that such a low rated customer. But for now, if you have that flexibility, it's an absolute steal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm just saying that's one of those things that I think uh, I have to try to get grandfathered in. Uh, well, I can before that program goes away. <laughs> Tyler, uh, we are we're nearing the end of our time here. Do you have any good takeaways for the team here, whether it's back towards the idea of culture and retaining employees, 
outlook on the future? What words of advice could you leave for the listeners? Yeah, it's uh, it, it, there's I feel every day we are on a new tangent of what we think is going to happen. I would say that the the inflation on, on wages is here to stay. I, I think the way you treat your employees is going to be a real change for in terms of just the overall benefit package that you offer employees to, to retain that talent is, is here to stay. And so you're either going to have to get super efficient in, in your operating model, which we've always been a super efficient operating model to absorb those cost increases, or you're going to have to, or there's going to be a ton of inflation on, on rates and occupancy, and it's going to, it's going to weed out hotels and a bunch aren't going to make it. Uh, that there's an underlying distress and this is going to be the second worst year operating ever after 2020. Yeah. It's not sustainable in terms of like how many hotels are operating at, at such thin margins that the banks are no longer letting you kick the can. So you're, you're going to start to see a lot of things turn over in the next six to 12 months. And so it, you know, you're either going to, people are going to figure out how to survive in this new wage inflated, you know, treat your employees better type of culture. And it will certainly weed out some of the, the weaker links. I, I, I sort of used to this now uh, and the way we're kind of sticking our head and down and continuing to open these hotels and we're actually continuing to buy property around the world. Um, if anyone's seen Forrest Gump where he buys a shrimp boat and the hurricane hits and he's like the only shrimp boat that survives and he comes back to port. And I think that there is going to be a bit of that. There's going to be some of these ships that don't survive and ones that make it to the other end with high quality, uh, good culture, et cetera, are going to thrive. Yep. No, that's a, that's a very great point. Um, a definitely topic we could go considerably into as well. Uh, CMBS rates, uh, you can look at the uh, consolidations when it comes to even just sales teams for those brand, those other management companies. Look at, I think it was Marriott and I would say Hyder Hilton, I think reported both trading profits now in, in ways, you yeah, exactly to your point where you can see some upside, but at the same token, though that upside's on the brand side, does it mean that you're seeing that at the actual property level? There's tons of different ways where people are trying to reinvent the wheel and stave off things, lobbered so they can get in that upswing and survive. But uh, to what point is that turnover going to happen? There's a lot to that topic as well. Yeah, Marriott and Hilton are lucky that they don't own any real estate. So they're just taking revenues off of top line. Yeah, exactly to your point. You guys are you're out there digging, building new Sinesta as a prime example too, where they are ownership of majority of their portfolio until now. Where now, of course, they're franchising and have the red line acquisition. It'll be interesting to see how their uh, brand also continues to recover. An easy one to watch. We really want to see what hospitality is doing. Uh, Been me to watch the nest and see from an owner and manager standpoint uh, what that value is looking like. Yeah, it's an interesting time for our industry. To your point, it'll be interesting to see how 2021 shapes up. And I mean, we're, we're through August, so we're, we're nearing the end of the, the stretch here. And uh, we're trending the right direction. So hopefully we'll it's here. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully the fall is not as disrupted by Delta variant as it looks like it might be. I think we were all cautiously optimistic that it was going to be some return to normalcy this fall. It's going to be interesting to see just how the, the fall plays out. Definitely. If not, we've had a great summer. So, well, well I like at least uh, well on to that piece of it. Tyler, 
Again, appreciate your time today, sir, and uh, sharing about CISNIM, about uh, your guys' culture there within the company, of course, as well as what you guys have going on and uh, what's in the pipeline. So a lot of great things happening there. Definitely appreciate your time and you joining us. The fleet free-flowing conversation that we just went with it. I like it. Good form. So. Perfect. Well, thank you again, and we'll see you again next time. Yeah, anytime. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Hotel Moment podcast. For more information, visit gomoment.com slash podcast.